0: Welcome to Happy Class. This is a special bonus series of the Live Free Creative podcast where I, Miranda Anderson, give you a little bit of an inside scoop into my Master of Applied Positive Psychology program at UPenn. I am going to spend the 2022 2023 school year diving deep into the science of well being, answering the question what makes life worth living? and I'm excited to share little bits and pieces along the way with you. So whether you're interested in what's it like being in graduate school as an almost 40-year-old, or if you, like me, are interested in living a little bit better life, I hope that you'll enjoy these quick, thoughtful insights as to the things that I'm learning and what I think about them. Hop into my backpack. Let's head on in to happy class. Welcome back to happy class. This is week 14 and the final official week of the semester. As this episode comes out, I will be wrapping up the last couple papers, finals, and getting everything tucked away and turned in so that I can enjoy a true holiday break. My final assignment is due on December 19th, and then I begin classes again the first week of January. So I have a full two weeks off. I'm really excited to use that time to take a real break. We do have some readings and things to work on for like to be prepared for our first onsite in January. And I have already decided that I am going to not do those. I'm gonna finish everything up before the break officially begins. And then I'm going to take a a full two weeks off. And after new year, I'll use a couple days before classes start that first week of January. That's when I'll dive back in. I'm planning to give myself some real headspace. I read a great book years ago, probably a decade ago now, that talked about the importance of pausing and resting on our brain itself for the incorporation of big ideas. I have spent the last 100 days being fed information from a fire hose and you know there's only so much that you can actually absorb when you're just being drenched in new ideas information theories readings it's so interesting and so many things that I want to know more about and and it was actually kind of like flipping through to mix metaphors here (laughs) flipping through a flip book where you get like little glimpses of things and there are Of course, several topics that we went really deep in. Those are things that we explored and that I wrote theory papers around and that I dived into for application purposes, and so much that I have now been exposed to that I will be able to continue to learn more about in the future. You bet I've got a running list of articles to read, books to read, things to look up and discover. And while during the program itself is not a great time to learn everything there is to know about positive psychology of course and we are guided very much in our efforts and and directed towards sort of the best hits i know that this is a first step in the rest of my career and the rest of my education and it feels really good to have that exposure at at minimum now looping that around back to the break i remember the importance of having some space where there actually isn't any new input coming at me so that my brain can go to work synthesizing some of the things that I have learned and some of the things we've done a deep dive on, uh, giving my brain some space to connect those things to real life applications, to ways that they can be of service to my community and how I might present those, uh, maybe brainstorming and and planning some upcoming podcast episode topics, and giving myself some space to just think for thinking's sake. Go on walks and let things sort of settle. And then I'll be able to be a little bit better prepared to jump into a new semester after the new year. Now seems like a good time to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, StoryWorth. If you are spending time with loved ones for the holidays like we are, chances are you're gonna hear a lot of stories. Stories that you want to hear, things that you've heard a few too many times. But have you ever wanted to just capture those stories and get them down somewhere that you could refer back to them and pass them on? This is where StoryWorth comes in and makes it fun and easy. Here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like, What's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or what's your favorite place you've ever traveled? All your loved one does is reply with a story. Then after the year, StoryWorth compiles all of those stories, memories, and even any photos that you choose to include into a hardcover book, creating a beautiful, valued keepsake that can be turned back to and read over and over again. Stories are what bind families together. They give us identity and help us feel connected. So help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to StoryWorth.com slash live free today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com live free to save $10 on your first purchase, which I'll mention is also a perfect last minute holiday gift. That's StoryWorth.com slash live free. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Now back to class. One thing that is happening this week that is pretty important and has been really interesting is our capstone proposals are going to be due. Our capstone is essentially the thesis for our master's program. And there's a lot of different ways that it can be done. Uh, Most people do a big, like more traditional thesis that's a, a 30 to 40 page paper, a literature review, diving deep onto one particular topic and Sometimes these papers emerge, like, ready to be published, and sometimes they are a stepping stone into something else. Other students will create a course or a workshop and have all of the slides and all of the curriculum and basically, like, build a program for their thesis, again, with the literature review. There are some students that are really hot on the idea of doing empirical research. So their capstone will look like all of the preliminary work for that, setting up the research design and maybe even going through the IRB process of having their research approved for ethics and, you know, make sure it's not in any violations of of scientific research uh, guidelines. And then, of course, the actual study would probably take place after graduation just because of the time constraints. And then there is what I'm planning to do, which is a book proposal. A book proposal will look like a initial literature review with a lot of diving into the current research on the topic that I'm interested in writing in and then synthesizing that into a 30 to 40 page document that includes some market research, that includes an outline and some sample chapters and writings and a sample appendix for this new idea for a book that I would hope to put into the world sometime after I graduate. That is my plan. I knew from the beginning going into graduate school that I wanted to do a book proposal for my capstone. What I've been working on over the last 14 weeks is narrowing down my topic idea. And hilariously, this happens a lot, I think, in life, but I came in, in fact, on my application for the MAP program, I had outlined in a couple sentences, an idea that I've had for a book for a long time, actually, since I published More Than Enough, my current uh, nonfiction memoir book, I had this idea for a book that I wanted to write. And I even started to outline it and explore it a little bit. And I kept feeling like I wasn't quite ready to, to write it. And part of my application for MAP was this idea that I I need this scientific foundation to help me be the writer and researcher that I want to be in order to present these ideas in a really meaningful way. And as I've gone through the program the last couple months, I've had new ideas come up and different ways to think about it or refine it or entirely different concepts. And I've talked about these with my journal reader throughout the semester. And then hilariously, in the last week, I recognized that I love my original topic idea. And so even though I kind of Stayed open to explore all these different ideas as they came along. Other ideas sort of came and passed through. And the thing that has still remained is this original topic idea that I applied with, that I've been thinking about for years, and that I am now excited and super motivated to learn more about in order to present it in a way that will be meaningful for those people who pick it up and read it. That idea is adventure mindset. This is the lens through which you can see obstacles and challenges in your life as adventures and not just climbing mountains, but even metaphorical and hypothetical challenges or goals and how by changing the way you look at them and changing the lens through which you see them, you are better equipped to succeed you're better equipped to not only survive some of the things that are happening in your life, but to thrive during them. And so I'm working on a research-based theory of the components of adventure mindset, what that looks like and how one might build it, how you can actually flex the muscle of adventure mindset so that you are better prepared to take your ideas and turn them into action or to face challenges in a way that helps you learn and grow and become stronger as a result of them. So get excited and stay tuned to learn more about Adventure Mindset as I dive deep into it over the next six months. Now, just for the last couple minutes of this week's happy class, I want to leave you with some thoughts that really struck me during this last onsite. I was in class Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this last week, and one of the guest speakers who came to present to us was Jonathan Haidt, Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist and the professor of ethical leadership at NYU, New York University. A majority of his work circles around the psychology of morality and moral emotions. The book that we read in preparation for his talk was *The Happiness Hypothesis: Finding Modern Truth in Ancient Wisdom*, which is a really fun read. I think that it—I mean—it's a great read for general audiences, and I, I, I recommend it. At the end of his talk, though, he sort of took a turn into the impact of social media and technology on our youth. And while I am in no way an alarmist when it comes to social media and technology, I do acknowledge that screen time (laughs) is one of the biggest ongoing battles in my household. With a 9-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old, we discuss technology, iPad, phone, video games, TV time a lot, and we have a lot of guidelines around it, and it feels like something we come back and back to. I wanted to share that I I asked a question of Jonathan Haidt around the idea of screen time generally. He had a very convincing and compelling argument for why social media really negatively impacts our adolescents until they're well into their teenage years. He said 16 to 17 to 18 is probably the most appropriate time to have kids engage in social media. Before that, it really does a, so much more damage than good, which I agree with that lines up with everything that I've read, too. But as far as screen time generally, I think this would is interesting. Most of you listening are probably women, probably moms, um, just according to the demographic information I have about the podcast. And so if you have screens figured out in your family, that's amazing. But if you don't, here is a little bit of information that I thought was so poignant. He said that the real detriment of screen time is not the screens themselves. You you know, there is tons of data that shows that playing video games actually can improve your hand-eye coordination. It can improve your problem-solving skills. There's, there's great research around the positive effects of, you know, engaging in television shows, watching uh, movies, especially if you can then kind of pull out some meaning from them, um, vicarious experiences of watching sports competitions and playing video games where the real detriment comes is in opportunity cost. What could we be doing with that time that we are not because we're engaging in technology? He argues that our kids need more free time playing outside, more unsupervised problem solving time, more time getting bored and then figuring stuff out on their own. That the more we use technology, the less opportunities for kids to engage in play and in outdoor adventures and in the types of activities that build their motivation, build their independence and build their confidence, which then become critical elements in their being able to derive meaning and joy from their lives later on. So he said, no, there isn't like an inherent negative to screen time generally. We have to ask ourselves, what are we missing out on because of it? And this simple thought of opportunity cost got my mind working around how to set up some guidelines in my own family so that there is an equilibrium of this outdoor play, unsupervised interaction, hobbies and physical activities, and making sure that there is a full engagement in the whole childhood and adolescent experience. And that screen time is a fun supplement to that, and that it's something that we can engage in guilt-free as long as we are recognizing, acknowledging, and providing for all of these other meaningful opportunities. It reminds me a little bit of the way that I like to think about nutrition, that there is space for everything in our diets, and we want to make sure that we're getting the nutrients of our, the you know, dense vitamins and minerals that are present in produce, um, the proteins and whole foods, along with the treats and the snacks and and the sugar and some of the more processed foods, are we eating a balance? And in fact, it reminds me a little bit of when I was working as a diabetes educator. One of my first pieces of practical advice to people who were hoping to adjust their diet to be a little bit more healthy was not to eliminate anything. It was simply to add more fruits and vegetables by adding more vegetables with intention, you're automatically sort of displacing something else that, you know, you're going to fill up a little bit sooner. You're going to not have as much space on your plate or in your appetite for something that won't be as nutrient dense as those vegetables will. And so rather than eliminating, thinking of adding. And I like to think about this when it comes to screen time as well, how can we add in more weekend camping trips that are inherently screen free, more family walks, more trips to the playground or the dog park, more going on bike rides and sending the kids on bike rides. I want to think about that for my family and invite you to think about it for yours. How can you add in those really incredible and necessary opportunities for play and exploration and innovation? And naturally see the screen time drop off because you are engaged in something even more meaningful. If you're rolling your eyes, believe me, I know that this is way easier said than done. And I also know that thinking about it and considering it and making space for the idea is the first step. So as I look into the next couple weeks of holiday break, I have a goal of adding more intentional, outdoor, interactive, and engaging activities that will take up some of the space that might otherwise be filled by something less meaningful. And when we do do the screen time, which is totally okay, just checking and balancing that with incredible real-life interactive activities as well. And as a quick logistical note, because I'm not in class for the next two weeks, I will also be taking a break from Happy Class for the holiday break. I'll meet you back here the first week of January.